once again into the soccer OG. Hey, that's me, Max Pretos. This is episode 54. As always, a reminder to download and subscribe to the podcast. But this week in particular, we ask you to rate and review. Leave a comment. Makes a big difference so that our podcast can get out there to the masses. Thanks to everyone who has been tuning in. And how about a huge increase in our listeners in Canada? Oh, Canada. I did rate my top 10 anthems. I didn't have Oh, Canada in the top 10, but very close. Very close. Check out my Twitter handle for my official list. Number one goes to South Africa. Number two to France. We have a lot to get to this week. Thrilled to be joined in the business end by Taylor Rockwell, a self-made soccer impresario with the Total Soccer Show, a podcast that started from humble beginnings and is now the biggest, one of the biggest podcasts here in the United States space. We will talk to him about getting that up and running. If you're interested in doing that or creating content, this is a great spot for you to learn. Later on in stoppage time, we will be talking African Cup of Nations. Recently concluded, congratulations, Senegal. And we can see the importance of that tournament. But we'll look at the bigger picture now that AFCON is behind us. What does that mean? And what is next with regards to qualifying for the World Cup? And what does the future hold for the African nations? This is the Soccer OG. We're thrilled to have you on board. Let's go. Hope everyone had a great weekend. I certainly did. Thanks to uh, my connection with LAFC, my soccer club. Got to see System of a Down and Corn perform at Bank of California Stadium. This is relatively unsolicited, but if you want a great concert experience wherever you are, if you're visiting LA, whether you live in Los Angeles, put it on your list. Check out the bands that are coming up. They're fantastic. I had an absolute blast. Open air. And all our people coming together. Be safe, obviously. We're seeing some good signs with COVID. Be safe out there. But I am ready for concerts and activities. You name it. The, the interview coming up with Taylor Rockwell of Total Soccer Show is fantastic. We just recorded it. So I want to get to that as soon as possible. But a couple things to address here. And we will talk about African football in stoppage time coming up. So we got out of the international date, and I wasn't sure what this weekend would hold for us. Uh, the FA Cup, I I love the FA Cup. It's a great competition, but that's one of the tournaments that I have to put a little less emphasis on when I watch the major leagues because I want to focus where the league games are going. And I wasn't sure we had enough meat on the bone this week coming out of the international week, but boy, was I wrong. Incredible games. To keep us uh, afloat, to keep us engaged. Let's start with Barcelona. 4-2 victors over Atletico Madrid and the best game for Xavi. All the new faces were there for Barcelona. Adama Traore, uh, Yang, and in particular, even though he's been there for a few games, uh, Dani Alves also had Ferran Torres. So all those guys contributing in a big way as they looked incredible. But Dani Alves, who had a goal, he had an assist. He was involved in another goal, which you can't give him an assist, but you could have close enough. And then he gets the red card on a really bad challenge. That was the only bad thing. But Dani Alves, I mean, he's not going to be able to do it all the time. But he is a very special player, and he comes into the conversation for greatest fullback ever. And that conversation is going to surround Brazilians. When you think of the great ones that played together in Cafu and Roberto Carlos, Danny Alves probably gets on top of both of them because of the duration of what he's been able to do, even now in his late 30s, contributing like that. So you had that game going on. It was spectacular. Then you have... The debut of Dusan Vlahovic and Juventus. Uh, they broke the bank for him. Really one of the most astronomical transfer deals. And Juventus also got Denis Zakaria. A smaller uh, transfer from Mönchengladbach. But he played and he scored. Vlahovic scored. I will be the first to say I haven't seen enough of Dusan Vlahovic. And I was wondering... Is it all worthwhile? I saw some Fiorentina games. And obviously he scored a boatload of goals. 
But that guy is something else. He is a flyer. He gets from point A to point B in a hurry. I don't know if he's the fastest player out there, but boy, does he come into view quick. And the goal he had with a little tap, I think it was off his left foot, was it? To chip the goalie, unbelievable. Juventus now look like a team that could stir the pot when we talk about the Champions League, which is just around the corner. Can't wait to start talking about that. February the 15th, it's back. It's not the greatest group of games, but it's the round of 16. You're not supposed to have these incredible games at the round of 16, but we do have PSG Real Madrid. We do have Inter and Liverpool. Speaking of Inter, the Derby de la Madalena, the biggest rivalry in world football. Do not at me. Do not. It is facts. The history and what is happening playing in the same stadium, when you put all the data and criteria, and trust me, I did this and I was looking to say that it was Barcelona Real Madrid or River Boca. Inter Milan, Milan Inter is the biggest rivalry across the board. And what an addition that they had. It's good that Milan won because obviously Inter were getting the upper hand on that. So, you know, that game, PSG getting five goals, Mbappe and Messi scoring. What a sneaky good weekend. And the uh, the major food groups all contributing in a big way. And now we get back into it. That is why this podcast is a necessity. We can talk about so much sports. And when we talk to Taylor, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about the challenges of covering soccer in this country. So we will get to that without further ado. Right now, the business end, our conversation with Taylor Rockwell of The Total Soccer Show. into the business end and yes this is the soccer og and we have ogs everywhere and this next gentleman certainly fits that profile taylor rockwell of the total soccer show and i want to ask you about your program but i remember when i went to espn i had to pivot towards american sports and i didn't really see the growth of the game in content as closely as I would have liked. And I, and I discovered the Total Shock Soccer Show in, in like t- around, I want to say, 2015 or so. It's, oh, wow. Right that, or 2006. And then I started, this is good stuff. And I really got into it when you did 2018 World Cup previews. And I was like, what a great resource. And then I realized how it started. And I'm talking too much anyway, but I want to introduce Taylor. But it's all good, man. It, it, it's really interesting to me as we, we start moving to this World Cup year to look at folks that started with an idea and built that into something much bigger, building an audience from, from without really the support of a big network or anything. But this Total Soccer Show beginning into something that has become part of the American soccer lexicon. You should be very proud of yourself. Thank you. That's very kind of you. I'm mostly proud that I get to be on this show with you and getting to know Max. That's that was. I remember when we first met in Atlanta when we did the last show down there, and it was like super exciting. I was like, "Oh, Max is going to be okay. I get to call him Max now and pretend like it's no big deal." But yeah, man, it's it's been a it's been a ride for sure. We started in 2009. Times are different. Twitter is angrier, but overall, uh, it's been fun. Tell me about the idea and where it started for uh, the the show and when you were Daryl and saying this is something that we're interested in and did you did you think it would be as successful as it was and or how challenging was it to to build that because it's not easy it was not no we met in 2008 i want to say i moved back from uh from college in kentucky he had moved here with his wife obviously daryl my my late co-host was from england um and we were playing on like an adult like summer league team here in richmond um, and I think I mentioned like Robbie Earl, who at the time wasn't on NBC's coverage. And I think he was sort of surprised that I knew who Robbie Earl was because I'd been listening to a soccer podcast. And so we kind of struck up a conversation. I started writing for him a little bit about Manchester United. And then I think mostly just because of proximity, uh, he had the idea of doing a radio show here locally in Richmond for an independent radio station. Since I was around and into the soccer, we started talking about what that might look like. And we ended up pitching it to that station here called WRIR. So we started as a radio show uh, once a week for 23 minutes, 23 to 27 minutes was our time length. Um, We learned really quickly that that was not enough time. So we started adding on additional components and that's how it became a podcast. And then sort of over time, 
the numbers for the podcast were just way more consistent and way bigger. Uh, and the independent side of the radio station meant that we couldn't ever do any call to action. We could never tell people to go to a live show or to use this product. And so if we wanted advertisers, we had to sort of shift into a podcast. And so that's the way we went. But yeah, independence uh, remains that way. We have a, a license agreement with The Athletic, uh, which has been great for us. And we've really enjoyed uh, being with them for the last two years or so. But it's, it's, been, uh, it's been an interesting one. And then obviously Daryl passing away uh, was like unexpected and expected at the same time because he, he was diagnosed. I think he'd been dealing with it for about two years. But once it, it got bad, it got bad pretty quickly. And so it was a bit of not quite a blind side, but it, it was still very like, I think he and I had been talking about shows he was going to do that week, uh, the week he passed. And so uh, it's a credit to Ryan and Joe who stepped in. Cause I went, I kind of kept it going a little bit. And then my daughter was born not long after that. Um, and so I had already planned to take paternity. Joe and Ryan stepped in and hosted some shows. Graham came into the mix as well. And those three really, I would, I would say like, played the biggest role in keeping it going because I don't think I would have been able to do so just by my own. I don't think people needed to hear just me talk every single day. Um, and I think that it just gave, gave us kind of different voices, a variety to what we were talking about. And it's, it's a different show now, but I don't think it's, it's a worse show. I just think it's a different show because to do the show we were doing was me and Daryl in the office every day, talking about the game, rewatching the game together, talking about it some more. And so oftentimes you were hearing like the third time we had had a conversation, but we had already figured out all the little like diff difficulties and differences in, in approach. And so you can't quite do that when you have four people in four remote locations, but I think we tend to text during games and sort of get our ideas together as we go. And so I think in the end, it's, it, it's nice. And I think we've kind of kept the same vibes, hopefully that we had when it was just me and Daryl. And you've created a network and you've put Richmond on the map. <laughs> oh yeah that was us that was us. Yeah. congratulations right. let's, Richmond let's... historically has not been on the map for the right reasons so I will take that <laughs> that is fine with me that is fine that's what I'm me. talking about and uh <laughs> look and when you mentioned Daryl and and what you had to do to I can't even imagine the weight that you had to feel when what happens with this podcast people know it's Taylor and Daryl and I am honored and to have been able to meet to meet Daryl uh, yeah. uh before his passing and even at the end, we, we'd see him struggling and not asking for sympathy, trying to his best to, sh to go and move on. And uh, it's it was just inspiring because, you know, I, I see that a, a lot. And uh, and to see your friendship and see how important and then the outpouring from this media, which was very genuine. And it's not always mm -hmm. uh, so uh, with Daryl, I, I just I'm selfishly would say I'm glad I got to participate in that in some way and see it because uh, the grace and his, his ability to, to power through and, and where people didn't know a lot of times. I mean, obviously at the end it was, it was, it was there to see, but it, it, a guy who uh, did not draw attention to it and try to, I would imagine safe to say, put in the, the podcast in best position yeah. for succession after he left, which must be just a mind blowingly difficult uh, process yeah. to think of. It, it, it was. And, and I think you're, you're not wrong with anything you said about Daryl, because he was just a very generous person and a very genuine person. If he said he was going to do a thing, he was going to do it. And I think he cared a lot about people. We coached a team, an adult team here in Richmond for guys who were in a sober living facility or in recovery. And Daryl was the one, Daryl didn't drive, but he organized rides. He organized the practices. Uh, he got guys to games. He got guys equipment. Like he, he cared a lot about humanity. And I think that's like the biggest thing that I've tried to make sure that the show always reflects is that we're talking about people. We're talking about humans. We're not talking about abstract individuals who like, you know, we learned, I made fun of Alexi Lalas early on and it turned out he was listening and he responded. And that was a good like moment for me of like, oh, right. People are listening. And I need to be mindful of what I'm saying, not because you know, I want to like toe the line, but just because I'm talking about a person and, it, and it's so easy to talk about people in really callous ways. And Daryl like was a good sort of role model in always making sure to try to be kind and try to see the good in people. And I think also to some extent, his passing in, in, in I guess a good way has just taken off a little bit of, of the importance of, of sports. And I just mean that in the sense that like, literally it's not life and death and so it, it does make me i think when i watch games now just have a little bit more like there are way bigger things that people are dealing with and and soccer 
tends to bring us together as a community and it brings us together as a collective to root for this thing, be it a club or a national team. And that's such an amazing thing. And I know people care about it. And I know people sometimes care about it so much that it becomes this, like, this is wrong. This isn't good enough. This is bad. And I understand that I do. It's just not what I kind of want to do when it comes to talking about soccer, because fundamentally we're talking about people and there are way bigger issues out there. If people are listening to us, I want them to be informed, but I want them to enjoy it. I don't want it to be 45 minutes of this guy sucks and this guy is not good enough. Um, and so I'm really grateful for that partnership with Daryl for that. Forgive me, I'm going long because- No, no, this thing, is great, man. The, the other thing that I think you hit upon there is like, he didn't let people know. And he was a stubborn guy. He didn't want special treatment, but I think also he didn't want people to make a fuss. But it, it was because he didn't make a fuss, <clears throat> I didn't really think- about it in just ever present ways. And because I was around him all the time, um, <laughs> this is a slightly lighter way to put it, but like my wife and I get worried that we spend so much time together that like, you don't notice the one pound gains incrementally. And then suddenly when you see somebody you haven't seen in a couple of months and they're like, oh, you put on a few pounds, you don't see that happen. And so it's like the incremental changes. And that's what it was for Daryl was seeing him every day. He was just Daryl. He looked the same as he always did until a photo of us from a year before that would come up and it was just like, oh, he's lost a lot of weight. He is definitely not as healthy as he was. And to do shows, to go to live events and sort of see people see him. And I think he could see that too. It was, I think, more of a reminder of like things, things aren't great and things are getting worse, but it's an important reminder to like enjoy this and to be happy around people and to just sort of get out of life what you can. And that was another really great lesson. I think he taught a lot of people. And it's been amazing to hear how often people, they wrote to me after, after he passed or they sent emails or just people I've met just talking about how he felt like a friend, even though they never met him, even though they lived in a state where he had never been. Uh, and I think that is such an amazing thing and such an amazing quality that he was able to exude and possess that it makes me really blessed to have known him and to have him as a business partner. And it's something that I hope I can continue in whatever form I can continue it. People listen to you for the same reason, Taylor. And uh, I, I think that is such an important aspect in doing what you do or wh whoever wants to do something like this and how to bridge the gap to the audience where they feel like they're in the room, where they feel like you're talking to them. And it's a it's very difficult skill to have. However, it has to come from a good place. And that describes you, Daryl, and the new crew, Joe, and everyone who's involved, allocation disorder as well, which is part of the network, which is incredible to think, because I go on your platform, you see where, where it was and how it's become and what it covers. And it's very thorough. And people, and we'll talk about this, people go to get that information from places like Total Soccer Show. When back in 10, 15 years, they would go to these big networks or what have you, and two or few streams to, to educate themselves. And now they can calibrate it to where they are. And a part of that is for people to feel comfortable uh have you learned any or, or there's things that you 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 tell yourself when you're starting the podcast to be able to channel up channel things like that obviously you can't really put too much you want to have a conversation it wants to feel as natural as possible and you're talking about the sport to friends friends that are near friends that are far away but yeah. how to, to be able to to grasp that to to know when you stop recording like okay that felt that felt real. Yeah. Yeah. There's a couple of things. I think like early on, I definitely not to the like comical extent, but I probably had a little bit of a voice. Like, I don't think I was ever like, Hey, welcome back to 95 point, whatever. Like there was <laughs> that's, never that that's my, that's my ground right there. <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah, I don't know, man. I feel like you made it into a brand. Yes. Like, I don't know. It's so good. Uh, but um, I think that that was like finding my own voice as pretentious as that sounds. And I don't mean even literally, I mean that I felt I would just start talking and kind of black out and kind of panic and trying to string things together. And I think it was this pressure to get everything out really, really quickly because time is limited. And I think once you, once I was able to slow down and realize that like, I'm having a conversation with another person that people are attempting to listen to. And if I'm going a mile a minute and dropping things and all over the place, it's really hard to follow in as much as when I have that as a conversation, sometimes people will tilt the head and be like, what is he talking about? Cause I've been going for a minute. So I think slowing down, making it accessible 
and then the the big one that I always have to remind myself, another Darylism actually, was we were talking about Arsenal once, I think, and we had done Premier League previews. We talked about Arsenal probably I don't know like ten times already that year, and I was still sort of in my head about like ah, but like there's Arsenal fans who are going to listen to this and they're going to know more, and I don't want to talk about this team and what they're doing tactically and have somebody listen to it and be like that's not what they're doing. I saw it this way, and I think Daryl's reminder in that moment was just that. Like, if you don't know something, chances are your listeners don't know something. And, and maybe some do, but a lot of the time they don't. And if you are sort of showing your own ignorance or your own lack of knowledge, but then also trying to answer it or yourself trying to find an answer, an explanation for a thing, if there's an organic question and you're providing an organic answer, that is always going to resonate. If it's, if it's your own thoughts, your own things you care about, People will listen. People will enjoy. If you're talking about the talking points that you think you're supposed to talk about or the red card that happened that everyone's talking about it. I don't really have that much to say about it. It was a red card. It was VAR, whatever. Like sometimes I think people go down the road of talking about what they think they're supposed to talk about and not what they want to talk about. What great advice, Taylor. And I've had that go. Look, I've been doing this a long time. But when I start talking about a topic and I'm like, I don't I don't have an opinion on this. Ah. I don't care. <laughs> and just yeah, to right? say, yeah. right. I go, you know what? That's it. I mean, I, and just to have that honest moment, people love it where you, if you just, you know, pile it on with just mumbo jumbo, they can tell. And then you can tell, which is even worse. You're like, what am I saying here? Right. So uh, yeah, I hate that. Feeling. Yeah, yeah, feeling that like, was I garbage. Really, <laughs> I didn't mean that. Yeah. And like, and I think sometimes when you're having to take a side, if you don't truly believe a thing, if you're not really invested in a thing, I feel like it's easy then to go to extremes and just sort of go with, eh, it wasn't a great game. No, it was the worst game ever. And then you're sort of advocating for a thing that you yourself don't believe, but now you have to defend and you're sort of trapped in your own logic, which Slippery is not a place slope. I ever want to be. Yeah, no. exactly. So, so I, yeah, I think it's always trying to find an authentic response to a thing, not even necessarily a take, but just a, an authentic thought or an authentic feeling that you can then kind of talk out because chances are maybe someone else experienced that or saw that or felt that same way and will react to it or react against it. But either way, I think as long as it's a conversation, it, it helps the discourse. You, when you started, you've talked about a, a great many things. And I know before we started recording and I was talking to you about, you know, looking for guidance about a good way to, to do a podcast, a good way to get on YouTube, a good way to, to do everything in this soccer space. And I, and we mentioned the U S men's national team, and we'll talk about that here shortly because it's a great topic. I love it. And I, I just, it's an empty bucket for me with this. And I'm sure for you and many others as well, but that resonates in an American audience. You, you mentioned the arsenal takes, and I've experienced this covering this sport as well, being an American talking about these topics and you almost have to, uh, put on an extra layer of knowledge. You really have to watch more. You have to read more so that you can have these takes to your point. He says, if my, if I don't really know about this take, then maybe the audience doesn't either. Maybe people will say, ah, it's, it's, I will turn to the sky sports. I will go there to get my information. I will go to a, a podcast from England to do it. But there's, there's something very important being American and consuming this from the way we do it, that we see it from this prism that I can talk about, that you can talk about, but it's still very challenging. And you, when when I really was drawn in, I mentioned those world cup episodes where it was information that you'd listen to it and you would know a whole lot more about Algeria and the world cup from a very American perspective, which really stuck with me. It was like photographic, the way that information stuck where I'd hear it from somewhere else that wasn't like me. But it's so challenging. So the balance to find that where you go, I feel comfortable. I'm going to have a 20 minute, 30 minute conversation about the Arsenal midfield. I'm going to have a 30 minute conversation about this AFCON final. Yeah. How do I make it sound authentic and how do I keep people interested with, without sounding maybe phony or that's not the right word without sounding like uh, maybe out of the loop with regards to covering these, these topics. I mean, I think the biggest thing is always just don't BS. People know, I don't know if I can curse on this one, so I'm taking the G route. Uh, we, but we, yeah, we can, I just... <laughs> it's all right. Uh, and I do curse, by the way. I think people think I'm, I'm a very 
buttoned up individual because we don't curse on the show. We just know kids listen to it. So we try not to have Good man. parents fast forward. Um, hey, we can't, we need every, we need every audience member we possibly get our hand on. The more, the merrier. Perfect. Perfect. If you're five, keep listening. You're five. Listen to the Total Soccer Show religiously. <laughs> don't tell your parents. Yeah, yeah, don't. Uh, I think, I, so I think honestly, like not trying to BS is the biggest thing. And if you want to talk about the AFCON final, if you've watched the other games, if you're familiar with the teams, I think that puts you in a good position to do so. If you haven't, I think owning that is always such an important thing because so often people, like, I, I think like if, you can always tell if a person has watched the full game versus read a story and watched the highlights by the way they talk about it. And I think it, it just, it doesn't lend itself to delivering in-depth informed of observation you end up sort of getting a like i don't know why that happened why wouldn't they start this guy and if you would watch the games like the game two games previously when that guy had a really bad game and couldn't do a certain thing it's easy to ask those questions if you haven't already done the work and i think if you do the work it makes them much easier to actually answer the questions and so i think always just being authentic in what you're doing and why you're doing it and maybe it's just i'm really interested in the african cup of nations i've never really paid attention to it i want to see what's happening so i'm going to go all in you don't have to have been the original person to discover the tournament. Again, the, I think the authentic interest will come through, but then I think putting in the extra effort to maybe it's pronouncing names or maybe it's looking at the, the left winger who isn't the star as opposed to the right winger and looking at, okay, who he plays for. Like, I think we had that with Egypt in the world cup uh, Trezeguet. Like everybody was focused on Salah and will he be healthy? He had had the injury issue uh, courtesy of Sergio Ramos and, and that was where I first learned about Trezeguet and, and reading about him and then watching some clips and being like, this guy seems like he's going to be legit. And I don't think he ended up being in that World Cup. But when you find those players that just, for lack of a better phrase, like spark joy, make you enthusiastic, make you interested. A lot of the North Africa teams in that 2018 World Cup were like that, where they had different like weird hybrid styles of intermittent pressing and then sitting off, but then trying to possess, but sometimes being direct and having this like one world-class player, but then another guy who was equally good who played in Morocco or something. It's just all of those little stories end up being really captivating to me. And, and so I think it's just always, what do you want to talk about? What connects you to the game, to the sport? And maybe it is like the hot take your stuff that you tend to respond to as long as that's what you actually want to do and actually care about. I think that's what Taylor Twelman enjoys. It's the media. I think that he tends to participate in and consume. And so like, I, like I have my frustrations with him every now and then when he goes extra ranty and extra bright red, but I think like that's how he does it. So that's how he does it. And, and I think as long as you're not trying to be somebody else, more power to you. Yeah. And he's good at that. He, he's him. And look, Twitter and social media with our, our, our soccer media is, is something to, you got to prepare yourself for. And uh, yeah, man. there's a lot of repetition. It goes to your phone. It goes to your <laughs> phone. People don't realize that, but like, it's always fun when I like, like playing with my daughter and I get a DM on Twitter of like, your show sucks. And it's like, Oh, cool. That's fun. That's going to be a fun one for me to kind of ruminate on for the next hour. Good stuff. Good stuff. I know what you mean. And uh, by the way, I was looking at the, uh, cause I was, I was, I'm fascinated with North Africa, and I, mm -hmm. I believe that the one of these North African teams are going to make a huge breakthrough in the World Cup. Maybe yeah. it's this one. Looking at the qualifiers, we could have four North African teams in the, the World Cup. Uh, I, I would imagine Algeria is a favorite over Cameroon. Tunisia is a favorite over Mali. Egypt, Senegal, probably a push. Morocco, definitely a favorite over Congo, right? Am I wrong? I want no. It, I just I forgot. I forgot it was. I forgot it was Egypt Senegal. Was the, it's crazy the playoff that they have. The Afcon final is the playoff. That's going to be interesting. All right. That's <laughs> Africa is brutal, man. I will it's forever brutal. remember Bob Bradley. Bob Bradley had like a perfect qualifying run with Egypt through the group stage, and then gone. And then in the draw, gotta. That's it. So and then that, and then Ghana. everything he did was wiped off the board. Like, what yep. are you doing? I go. He had one bad result. One bad game. It wasn't <laughs> even a bad result. He just ran into the wrong team at the wrong time. Yep. Yeah, I, I know no one likes the 48 team World Cup, but there are some benefits to it. If you get an extra African nation in there, that's a good thing because five is not enough. And I think it helps the growth. But World Cup is a expansion is it's, it's a topic that gets pretty hairy. But there are some good things. There definitely are. I think. I was definitely much more negative on it to start. And I think it's honestly, it's not dissimilar from the, I, I'm born and raised in Richmond. 
uh, Richmond tends to be either a Washington team or weirdly a Dallas Cowboys city. You're either Washington or Dallas. I don't know why. Um, and no Carolina Panthers the, has picked up anytime recently. That's, that's a no fly zone. Maybe they've picked up a little bit. Like I think they weren't around. No. I mean, I guess I'm showing my age here. They weren't around till I was, I don't know, maybe 12. I forget what you I was in college. Was. I remember when that big expansion yeah. happened and it was Carolina and Jacksonville, which was right? bizarre. Yeah that that was the team yeah. coming into the league. And so maybe Carolina has gained some traction in like Virginia beach or Southern Virginia, but for the most part, I think Virginia is Washington or Dallas. I promise I was going somewhere with this. Uh, Washington <laughs> now has the new name, the commanders. And I was not, a, I was not a big fan of that one. I'm still confused as to like, if everybody is a commander, if everyone's in a position of authority, I don't quite know who's actually in charge <laughs> then, but it was sort of, in thinking about it more, I just realized it's basically just that I don't like Dan Snyder. And so anything Dan Snyder does, I'm going to immediately oppose. And similarly, I don't really love FIFA. I don't feel like Gianni Infantino is doing always the best things for soccer and for actually helping people. Uh, and so I, won I do wonder if maybe if we all liked FIFA a little bit more or liked the current president or hadn't had a ton of scandals, if the expansion would be more popular. Because to your point, it gets more teams in. Africa should have more teams. Uh, South America somehow should have more teams, even though they only have 10, but we need more in there. But, and, and I think, and I, think they, I, I think they only get one more in this 48 team expansion. They're not the big winners of expansion from yeah. what I saw, but I, I, I saw that a long time ago. So don't hold me to it. I think you're right. I think it's like, or they get maybe six instead six. of four and a half or whatever it is. But either way, I think you're, you're, you're right. They're not getting a huge jump. CONCACAF getting like three more spots, definitely a pretty big leap there, but I mean, theoretically, if it actually helps grow the game and create infrastructure in countries and, and give more jobs and ideally provide more education, like that's what it's supposed to do. That's what it's supposed to do from FIFA's mandate. And that's what I think soccer is supposed to do, broadly speaking, is bring people together, as I said at the beginning. So I think there's ways to make that happen. And I, I kind of am interested in how the expanded World Cup goes. I know it's primarily because you want more money. And I really oppose the two-year World Cup. I don't think that's a good idea. But an expanded World Cup, uh, may maybe in some better hosting locations, I'm good with. You're not going to want to hear this part, but I'm, I'm advocating the biennial really? World Cup. This really? is why. I have one steadfast... Right. Now, now we fight. Now we fight. <laughs> I, have, I don't like it across the board, but I have one steadfast, ironclad reason why it's a good idea from our perspective here in CONCACAF. It gets deep I, out of the country. What was that? Twice, like twice, it gets Alexi Lalas out of the country twice as often. <laughs> is that what it is? Yeah. <laughs> Keep Alexi away from him. I don't want to lose my train of thought, but uh, I want I want to come back to this Daniel Snyder. Actually, won't. I just want to say we should do another podcast about Washington football. The Commanders it wasn't a great name to get out of a situation because it does kind of hit you like, wait a minute, that's a little bit heavy-handed. Anyhow. But yeah. this Daniel Snyder situation, it's already gotten some collateral damage. John Gruden, <laughs> I think this is, it's fascinating as well to see what's yeah. happening with the NFL. For some, some hairy, some not so savory stuff. And uh, Daniel Snyder's in the middle of it. So maybe we can recircle back to talk about that. I can see it in your eyes that you're down. I mean, I, yeah. I Growing up, growing up a Washington fan, really, it's a strange thing. We're going all over the place because it's the same thing as growing up in Richmond when you have, all of the Confederate monuments from when you're born, they're just here. It's just like, like I remember that when the Cooligans came to Richmond, they were both it's like, are you serious? Like the statues of all these guys and it's yeah, why wouldn't you? And then like, it really was, it's not even a thing that I believed in or like the lost cause. It was idea. just there. It's just, they're always there. And, and it's the same thing with, with the, uh, the name, the old name of that team, that it's just like, you grow up saying it, you don't realize it. And then there's a certain point, usually around college when you're like, oh yeah, no, that's just straight up racist. That's not good. And, and it does, it's an eye-opening moment. And it's crazy that he actively fought against changing it. And I firmly believe the only reason why he did is because sponsors said they would, they would pull out. And Washington has a long, not proud history of being a fairly racist organization. I believe they're the last ones to ever uh, draft a black player. They passed on Jim Brown. Uh, many, many reasons why I have frustrations with Washington across the board. How do you pass on Jim Brown? It's a great question. It's Pass. like, <laughs> it's a question. And I don't know. He's a little too big. He's a little too fast. Even alive. A little too strong. Uh, the yeah. numbers at Syracuse just weren't good enough. I, which, 
too good of an actor in any given Sunday. All many reasons why you don't you don't want to pick him up. Yeah, too good of an actor in Running Man. He was excellent in Running Man too. He was uh, one of the uh, the hunters. Yeah, That's highly Kratos. always That's Kratos a good, with the references. Always a good movie to resee. Those oh, Arnold Schwarzenegger yeah. eighty movies, right. Chef's Kiss. <laughs> I'm circling back to the Biennial World Cup, and this is my reasoning. Because of the lack of quality games we're getting with this Nations League, and then I see Comebol competing or now going to start competing with UEFA, everyone getting bedfellows here to improve their sport. The Euros are another World Cup. Can't compete with that. So what do we have here in CONCACAF? And I put in Africa and Asia here because we're kind of left out. If we want to get better games against better opposition, the only way I can realistically see it is having a biennial World Cup, something we can build up knowing that every two years we're going to face the best from Europe and South America, as opposed to playing Panama and El Salvador multiple times, which has its own benefits. But let's be it's not going to help us close the gap. I know it's going to be a mess logistically, and I, I'm so excited about this World Cup because it hasn't happened in four years. And doing that in two years is going to take away that magic, which is singular in sports. Uh, the Olympics, too, but the Olympics just doesn't does not hold the and that have, level. And you have winter and summer, which are in you have winter and like summer. They, so they, they bridge they it up. Yeah. So it's great. So what that's that's where I stand on it. Uh, I I'm screaming where we can get more good games. Maybe we make allegiances with AFCON or uh or not the afcon caf or afc because i just don't and when we we're not going to get a lot of good games against top opposition i figured this is a shortcut to get that <laughs> max i'm now all in on the rest of the world cup that's what i want to do it, I wonder, it's well, like I, we'll have the euros we'll have copa america and then we got the rest of the world cup where it's we, we had everybody it, else gets we i wanted to do it with come and have a tournament of the americas but they're yeah. like looking oh, at yeah. europe so we may have lost them yeah, I think I think until another confederation wins a World Cup, the two that actually have are probably always going to look to each other more so than anybody else. So, yeah, OK, it's us. It's Africa. It's Asia and it's Oceania. Let's let's make it happen. The rest of the World Cup every two every I guess every four years, but like two years to offset the World Cup. Yeah, I'm down for that. No, I think and I think overall, I think you've got a point that like if you want a premier competition, the Gold Cup is fun. It's nice to beat Mexico in the final, but it's sort of always playing towards maybe the semifinal, maybe the final. Those like the two games that people most care about, exemplified by when they could change the roster after the group stage and bring in like the ringers <laughs> for when we get into like the big game. So flawed. So it really is. And always being in the United States is like, it's cool for an American, but it's not quite the, the like confederations tournament when it's always in one location and tends to be won by one of like two or three teams. So I think, yeah, I think if you're looking at it from that perspective, it definitely has more resonance. I think it is just that four years, there's a build up to it and allows oh, other things to happen. And so good. You're right. Change. And that is fun. But maybe there is also the argument that like we're not getting to tournaments on steamerships. So we can expedite things a little bit more than we could have in, say, 1930. We still put a lot on the shoulders of these of these players, which is very tricky. Yeah. Uh, I, I didn't want to ignore Oceania, but quite frankly, USA versus Vanuatu, not going to help us close the gap. And I'll do respect. I've never been to Vanuatu. I would love to go, but uh, we'll still invite Oceania. We don't want them isolated here by any means. So we, we kind of hedged one point there as well about playing on the road and the gold cup. And we can, I'd love to start talking about the U S men's national team here and just the world cup process, which is fascinating it may be less fascinating with the expansion coming up certainly from CONCACAF's perspective but uh Christian Jack we was on here a couple of weeks and we talked about how important this Canadian development is because you get a road game against Canada and I have a road game against Mexico so it's something uh it's looking at the big picture and we'll, where CONCACAF stands but the process here for the U.S. men's national team is it's a, well, well, let's talk about qualifying. I wasn't sure which direction I was going to go, but I'll come back to something else I wanted to talk to. But just the process of qualifying. And we've just put these three games behind us, three games to go. Still edge of your seat. Uh, I was breaking down because now Costa Rica's in here. And they are uh, they got seven points in the last window. And now I'm like, oh, man. I was like, yeah. last window, if we bottomed out, we could finish fourth, which is second chance city. Now we could finish fifth, which is not good at all. 
Yeah. So I'm a little more nervous. I'm still confident they qualify. Uh, some good signs. They have two road games coming up, which uh, the two hardest places to play uh, in Mexico and Costa Rica. Now Costa Rica is a direct competitor. So uh, it's uh, obviously all this biennial World Cup and expansion of World Cup. It gets mooted if for some reason the United States don't make it here in 2022. 2022 is so important to set up 2026. I think they make it pretty comfortably, which means they get there before the Costa Rica game. How do you see this next window going? What What are the things that you would like to see the U.S. improve on so they make sure there are no complications? I will. I promise I will answer your question. I have two for you. There are like and four questions kind of- there. I apologize. <laughs> no, you're good, man. Quadruple good. barrel. I just want to. I'm setting the stage by asking you in response. Um, like, honestly, you, I think you just said it. You think the United States will qualify? Yeah? Yes. <laughs> Do you feel more uncomfortable saying that because of how things went in 2017 when they didn't? Yeah, it's it's not a convincing yes. Uh, I've seen so much more progress with the team. Obviously, the emergence of players playing in Europe uh, is a element that we didn't have, not at this volume, mm-hmm. and the improvement of the MLS players. However, it's it all hasn't fallen into place as smoothly or as effectively as you would like. And I, I see a lot of flaws in even the good things. Uh, I think with the European-based players, they're still young, and I was like, man, we're lumping a lot of pressure on these guys that have really most collectively we have not gone through and individually haven't gone through something like this. And this, the discussions as well, uh, it, it feels there's so much more fire on these roster announcements. Mm-hmm. And with sometimes about things like yeah. that shouldn't really bother us about whether Sebastian Legette is on he, or guys that I'm going to say Legette, but he's one of them that aren't going to play and yeah. focusing on that core group, which it hasn't firmed up yet again. And I actually started looking at things that worry me. And there were, there were four or five big topic <laughs> issues that needs to be fixed in order to make sure it's true. Uh, the getting a, a striker that can score regularly. Uh-huh. That, is, that, is that one through three on the list of four? That, things? Well, that's it's number me. one. That's the big one. <laughs> the other one was set pieces because Pulisic yeah. can't really hit his, but you yeah. need someone, as we saw in Honduras, you need someone who's in there and it's Kellen Acosta, but is that the best option? Uh, you need someone, it's but a, who it, is it? it? Yeah. There, so there's lots of those questions for sure. I, a lot. I think a, a thing that I keep finding though, is that like fundamentally, I do think they're going to qualify. And I think there are reasons to be frustrated with Why that. Why did you have to throw a I fundamentally think- at the beginning of that sentence? <laughs> <laughs> well, because honestly, I think I, I'll speak for myself here, but I, I think Joe has agreed with this previously that because of the failure, failure to qualify, the like my personal reaction to that has just been to always you don't want to you know hubris you, like arrogance you don't ever want to be like we're going to qualify it's going to be fine because there were people myself included probably in qualifying for 2018 who said that same thing at this stage and said it's going to be fine they they qualify this is what they do and then they didn't and and i think there's this reaction against complacency or perceived complacency that anytime i think then things go wrong Whereas in the past, if the U.S. were second in qualifying, it would just be like, ah, you know, that's qualifying. That's the nature of CONCACAF. It's going to be rough. You can't win them all. You want to try to win them all. You got to win the games. You got to win. And I think this time around, it's just been much more dissected and much more anxious. And I understand where all that comes from. Again, I don't really begrudge anybody for for feelings of frustration towards the team or Greg Berhalter or the results. But like if you go back to like qualifying in 2017, we were frequently out of the qualifying spots. We were not in second and then had a bad run and then fell out. Like it looked bad from start to finish. And that not meant to make anybody feel better, just meant to point out that like it would take a pretty big downturn in form for the United States to miss out on the automatic spots, let alone qualification on the whole. And so I still feel like they'll qualify. I still feel like they'll get the results they need to. But I think if we are then looking towards uh, what happens in the World Cup, how does this team evolve? How do they make it to the knockout round? How do they make it to the quarter, quarters or maybe even the semis? I think that's where some of that anxiety about this team is, is more founded. And I think there are people who expect this team to go far. 
I think every coach who takes over my advice, I already gave my podcasting advice. My advice to new coaches is don't, don't make grandiose statements about philosophy and style. Don't say we're going to change the way America is perceived because then that is how you will be graded for the yeah, rest of your you tenure. open yourself but, up. Yep. Klinsman did it. Uh, I think Bradley did it briefly and now Burhalter has done it as well. They can't and help so, themselves. Nope. And so, yeah, I, I, I'm not as worried about qualification. I'm always still slightly worried about qualifying, but yeah, the number nine spot, the lack of kind of precision on set pieces, what happens if Tyler Adams is injured? What is going on with John Brooks? Uh, there, there's a few other spots that I, I think are major to minor areas of concern that I look forward to the U.S. ideally figuring out fairly soon. Another one, crossing the ball, which has been... Uh... Oh, is that important? Do you want to cross to somebody? <laughs> I just, I just can't... The first defender? I've, I've never seen so many <laughs> crosses that just bang off the first defender. I'm like, that's not how it's supposed to work. Are they trying to get corner kicks? That's pretty uh, interesting. No, you got to get that thing in there. So that's an- added to the list, as I like to say. As a Man United fan, it's real painful <laughs> to watch like... The Juan Bissaka like, rule. <laughs> uh, the, there's like the David Moyes game where they cross like 48 times. Louis Van Hall had a bunch of that. And it's just like, oh, good. More of it. More lateral passes and crosses that don't clear the first defender. Awesome. So. <laughs> That's what I love to see. Yeah, I would like a little bit better service. That would be fine, too. I like what you said, and it, it did give me comfort about the qualifying effort because, yeah, it would take a cataclysmic drop for the U.S., but what it also would require is a nine-point window from Costa Rica or a nine-point window for Panama, which is not really realistic so that i think evens it out a bit because where the u.s are and and, hey look they're not at least they're not losing games at home last time they did that a couple times and that's going to obviously make you put your your situation in in a major predicament Mm -hmm. i hope i didn't jinx this panama game now by saying that i think i think you'll be all right and i think it's worth remembering as well if we're talking about what went wrong in qualifying last time like there's so many things i just want to be clear i'm not trying to say the u.s wasn't the problem unto itself but i'll add like i i believe panama end up getting a third goal that doesn't actually cross the line and that is how they end up getting all three points instead of the one point for the draw and that's how they jump the u.s var is here so that's not getting counted anymore and i do think that is a a a a lesser talked about thing but I, i i i personally feel like there's a lot less just elbows and little kicks and and little things that players might have gone for in the past to try to rile up opponents and get people frustrated because they know they're going to be filmed they know they're going to get caught they know they're going to get a red card for it or a yellow card for it and var i think brings a little bit of balance in that way i cannot believe i'm praising var uh but i think as like var brings balance maybe i think there are new wrinkles and new permutations that the u.s has to deal with chief among them is Canada and Canada getting very good very quickly and I don't think there's there's certainly not as much of a historic rivalry as there is between the U.S. and Mexico both on and off the pitch but I think Canada probably feels pretty disrespected by U.S. soccer by U.S. Oh, soccer media. I know I mean I know we get messages from people being like hey it'd be nice if you guys talked about Canada ever and we don't really and that's mostly just because we don't have the time but I think Canada probably has a pretty big chip on their shoulder. And I think U.S. soccer needs to maybe recognize that soon because I, I foresee a lot more challenging games against Canada, especially in Canada uh, in the years to come. Absolutely. And, and U.S., I mean, the Can- Canada has an attitude about them. And they like to push and the U.S. kind of will absorb it. Yeah, you could show respect, but also push back a little bit, which I saw in that game in Hamilton, which was a, did you remember that there was a one moment where Weston McKinney and, uh, Chris Walsh, Russell Walkie had a video about it where Weston's about to throw it and his sub comes right by him doing his calisthenics or whatever. And within inches of him. And I'm like, that's just going to shove that guy. Go get out of my space. I'm about to throw in a ball in a World Cup qualifier. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I think and, and I think there's there's sometimes there is a uh, like an inclination towards stoicism of just like, I'm not going to let that guy bother me. I'm not going to let him get in my head. I'm just going to take this throw in and show him that he doesn't matter. And in some ways, to me, that is also a sort of rash response to a person trying to mess with you. It's just like, I don't see you, and therefore you're not there. Because, yeah, he's got his foot up. And then he goes around him to the other side and he starts talking to a teammate. Like, right next to Weston McKinney as he's taking the throw. That drove me crazy. And, yeah, and just stop me like, yo, get this guy away from me. I'm taking a throw in. And the ref would have made him go away, or Weston McKinney could have pushed him away. Yeah, yeah there is that sort of – you still have to have that fight. And, and I don't want the U.S. going down the route of like losing their focus because they're so annoyed by this guy standing too close to me on a throw in. But you've got to find that balance. It can't be no contact. It can't be all contact. You've got to find the one where you are sort of going in 
shoulder to shoulder. Maybe, maybe you're getting a little bit of the guy when you go into that tackle, but that's letting him know you're there. And then for the rest of the time you're playing your game, I think they can find a bit more of a balance in that way for sure. I wanted to ask you about the way that the national team is covered because it's changed in a big way. There were, you know, it, there was a few places that uh, would discuss the national team, the national networks, your podcast and many others came around and opened that up. And it's even opened up even more so where, where we have generations of, of people talking, which is fantastic. We have the older generation like myself. Then we have that, that, that middle group that's seen the, where you put me, where you put you're me? in the middle, you're in the middle. Older? Okay. No, you're not, you're not, but you have an, an older, uh, way about you but you're not as old as the rest of us old timers you know but you have that knowledge you have that skill set and you've earned it and then you have everyone reacting and i follow all these folks on twitter i'm like what is going on and i in a perfect world we all connect the dots and we we it's it's good to just it's good to argue and there's a lot of argument i think we argue about everything Mm -hmm. but i'm also uh taken by uh everyone uh watching what's going on this phenomenon of the kids in europe playing and and this mls player we, we, we sometimes we, it gets a little black and white with this but mm-hmm. the mls player versus a european player but this phenomenon about watching european players and people turning on to see augsburg or royal antwerp on whatever package to yeah. see u.s players it's it's fantastic and it's a big part of why i think the sport's going to grow a couple with world cup success I just I wasn't quite ready for it when I went down the rabbit hole a couple times to have these conversations. But I know you've seen it change as well. What what do you make about our echo chamber or 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 conversations about specifically American soccer and where it's going, how healthy it is? I know it's not 100 percent good for you and it's going to drive you crazy. But I'm, I'm always buoyed by the fact that there's interest which is something we never had it, yeah, by that, and large. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, yeah, I think that that makes some sense. I like my, it, it actually does, by the way, sorry, that sounded passive. Uh, but but <laughs> I think my, I would, like, I'll take it honestly, either way. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate you saying all the nice things you've said about the show. Uh, for me, like, like I just, I, because it's me or because it's it's me doing the show like i i can't ever see it that way i only see it as like sort of where we were when we started and there were the ogs who'd been covering soccer since the 94 world cup or even before or playing in the 94 world cup um and so i think i've like i continue to see myself as like not in that group in some ways like i still think of us as just it's like little podcast which is why it still blows my mind when people in oklahoma are like yeah listen to the show Oh, okay, cool. Didn't realize that that was a thing. I'm sure you um, have those from from all continents around the world at this point. People are tuning. Yeah, in. it's kind of weird. Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> we had we, yeah we, we had we had a few like very disparate locations, and I was like, all right, okay. I feel like that's cool. We're touching bases. I can hang out in Mongolia someday, maybe possibly with a listener. That's all right. The um, remote show in Mongolia. Can't wait. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Exactly. Exactly. Um. So I. But I think with that said, it is then interesting to look at. Twitter as an example and the way people interact, because I think a lot of the time it's just, it is, I I care so much about this thing and I'm so invested in it. And I want, want to make sure, first of all, that everyone else is as well, because if the coach or one of the players isn't as invested, that's not okay. And I think that is where some of the frustration towards Berhalter comes from is there's a feeling that he kind of goes with players who maybe should have been moved on or shouldn't be there anymore. It just like, is it pushing the team to that next level? I'm not sure I subscribe to that one, but I think there there's some of that consternation. And then I think there's also just a feeling of like, I, I, I saw this and, and this is how I see it. And I want to be yeah. right. And so often I feel like people are approaching it from a, I am right. And here is why not here is what I observed. Did you also observe that? You did? Okay, cool. Let's talk about why that's happening. You didn't? Oh, what did you observe? And that happens with me and Joe. Joe and I are pretty analytical. Joe more so than me, I think. So I tend to sort of, if there's a disagreement, I'm like, Joe probably paid better attention than I did. Um, But I find those conversations, and maybe that's a debate, maybe that's an argument, but I find those to be so useful of like, I saw Anthony Robinson didn't have a very good game because I I didn't see his crosses or like like, uh, have any end product. I didn't see him completing passes from the channel. And if Joe says, well, actually he was doing this and I saw him doing this and I thought he was really important for this. 
it might be that he wasn't completing passes, but it might be that that's not what his responsibility was in that moment. And so if I've missed something because I see it a certain way, I like having conversations with people who can point out other ways it may have happened or other reasons why that not, might not be the case. I don't think it has to be, no, this is not right. This is not okay. Cause you end up painting with a broad brush and then you get into that. No MLS players are good enough. Everybody is, who's in Europe is better. Everybody who's in Europe isn't better. MLS players are better than players in Europe. And it's this weird generic way of talking about players. It is. Whereas, like, they're all individuals, man. They all do different stuff. They all think different things. Maybe evaluate them as individuals. Let's go that way first. Yeah. I, listen, I, I'm, I'm happy. And I've done it a couple of times where I'm, I was wrong about that. You were right. And it's hard to do that. It's hard to do that. I know it. I don't want to do it. And you figure it's going to hurt your credibility, but you're like, maybe I'll do it silently. Uh, but I, all these conversations, I think we <laughs> just a we, silent bow and then yeah. on we go. Yeah. One of these little nods. <laughs> anyway, where was I? So, but it's, I think it's good to, 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 to really look and educate yourself. It's fun, but it's time consuming. And you, you feel like, I mean, Joe is a great example. I can't imagine how much tape he watches and the way he breaks down uh players and so many guys are doing it it's so useful where you get to see it and look there he is what is that from this this is uh that was uh the milan derby and that would be Bayern leipzig unbelievable so what you're seeing we're just audio here but it's this really good penmanship pages and pages of book that takes a lot of work but just watching these games as we all know our loved ones are like no 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 you're not watching Watford Norwich right now. I go, yeah, I am. I'm sorry. But the same thing. I'm sorry you, to you if you were watching that. You I was. It was because Josh Sargent. Get out. That's fair. So, uh, but, but that and like, I think, it's, I think it's fun to watch MLS and say, okay, did you see this kid play? Did you see uh, this kid, uh, Jesus Ferreira, for instance, emerge and watch him and get along for that ride and, you know, just yeah. have some wiggle room on all of these things. Yeah. I, like, I, I think. I have my frustrations with MLS and with parody, but oh, I yeah. also fundamentally like you're getting, I keep saying fundamentally, apparently uh, you're, you, you do get these moments where you get youngsters breaking through and FC bus always has a couple of them that especially when North Texas SC was playing the kickers in like USL league one, like I saw Ricardo Pepe and Jesus Ferreira playing for them and Ricardo Pepe looked like a man amongst boys and he was a boy playing against men. Uh, but those those are so cool to get to see these these potential impact players, but also you're seeing them as raw products. And what do they do really well? How does Ricardo Pepe or Jesus Ferrer, whomever, adapt their game, evolve their game over the season? And if you're just watching and thinking, yeah, but when they move to Europe, that's when he'll get better. No, like there's good coaching everywhere. It's just about how you respond to it and the skill sets you add on. And then I think with Major League Soccer, when you do get teams that bring in smart designated players that kind of make the core better, I think that bleeds into the players they have. I think Toronto bringing in Insigne is such a smart signing, not just because he's good, because he is the type of player with the pedigree you need to just make everybody tighten up a little bit. And I think everybody ups their game when there's the, the new guy who's coming in and looking very good and playing very good. Maybe everyone's just a little bit sharper. And so I think there's, there's just so many reasons why MLS is a pretty interesting watch even in the games in the middle of the summer that don't feel like they have a ton of relevance somehow one of those games always ends up being referenced in the like eastern conference semifinals that they figured out how to play in this random game in june so yeah i got some love for mls for sure i was afraid this was going to happen taylor rockwell that we we would go here for a long time (laughs) and we barely scratched the surface there's so much to talk about but this is covering the sport Mm -hmm. it's harder than anything else because you cover the European leagues, you cover MLS in this country, NWSL. You have to keep an eye on that. You have to keep an eye on USL. You have to keep on world cup qualifiers. You got to keep an eye on chance. It's there's not enough hours a day. We can't watch it all, but we try and we try to stay at least up to date with reading. And it's, yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. So much respect to all those who do this for a living and keep a journal like you do for your notes. Yeah, but- I, I wasn't I wasn't even doing it like journal style until a buddy of mine was like, you know, you should keep that. And like your kids might want to see that or it's a good reference that it didn't occur to me that, yeah, it's nice to be able to go back and see what teams were doing from earlier in the season. But to your point, like, yeah, man, uh, when we first started the show, when we had to do our pitch, the radio people that were approving it or not asked us, are you sure there's enough soccer to talk about once a week? Like that feels like a lot of soccer. It was just like, yes. I promise you there is plenty of content for one. We got week. you There's plenty of content for seven days a week. We've learned that as well. 
Taylor, I appreciate your time, man. Uh, a great conversation. And you're, you're a great dude, but you're a wealth of knowledge, and I'm a little smarter again here. So best of luck with Total Soccer Show and Allocation Disorder in a World Cup year with all of that's happening under your umbrella. Uh, oh, you're going you're gonna to be even wealthier in knowledge. That's very, very kind of you. And I will say that is not surprising because for everyone who's listening, Max Bratos is exactly who you want Max Bratos to be in that he is a genuine guy. He is warm. He is funny. He throws, like, I, I think Max and I had met maybe once and the next time I saw him, it was like an arm around me. Like, how you yeah. doing, bud? And Old like, friends. Max is, yeah, you are a wonderful person. You make the American soccer landscape that much better. It is a joy when I'm covering a game and I see Max there. I'm just like, all right, we're going to yell at each other from across the press box and annoy some people who are trying to work quietly. <laughs> and and you, I'm fine with it. You're going to make me cry, but I appreciate that. And your family, my friend. And I look forward to sharing a press row, press row with you very soon. Taylor Rockwell, the Total Soccer Show in the business. And we'll come back here on Stoppage Time. We'll talk a little bit about AFCON next on the Soccer OG. And we are back here. Time now for stoppage time. And we're talking African football. The sleeping giant of the game. The future of this sport. At least we thought with many times we'd see it, but it hasn't quite clicked into place. So much is there, but so many challenges still in the path of this African game. In we look at this AFCON and the pushback from the European clubs. And let me tell you something. When I talked about Taylor and the, the Biennial World Cup, it's very insulated with everything that Europe does. Now, they have the money. They are making these players astronomical salaries and the star power from Mane and Salah and Mares, uh, Koulibaly, just remarkable. Truly, as uh, it's been good for long stretches through the years, but the volume of African talent is as good as it's ever been for a wide variety of of countries. Akrimi, this just at every position, so much talent. And then, you know, there was a pushback and it was it was really unsavory. But the tournament went forward, had some bumps, but in the end, you have this dream final. And then the celebrations from Dakar and all over Senegal after the Senegalese team won it in penalties made you feel like this was absolutely needed to happen. It was important. This is not a minor tournament. And then it got me to thinking about bigger picture things with regards to African football. First of all, AFCON had it all, had the surprise results. We had Comoros, we had Burkina Faso make a semifinal, Equatorial Guinea. And then the cream rose to the top with the Cameroon, Egypt semi. You had Senegal making the push there. You really had almost everything you would have liked to have had there. Maybe a few more, a few, a few more goals and <laughs> some of those moments. But just the magnitude and then all parts. The Obviously, Northern Africa doing well. West Africa doing well. But Central Africa did well. Now we got to get the South up and running as well. And then there's so much potential. It needs help. African football needs help. We know that in many places, it, corruption. And then look, with Burkina Faso getting the semifinal, didn't we have um, the unrest in that country during the competition? It's far from perfect. But Africa is going to get there. Uh, there was a moment in the AFCON that just reminded me of just how, how this sport makes a breakthrough. Now, these African continent, the countries are very different from every region. It was in Cameroon and Algeria, who had a tough tournament, were coming out. Riyad Mahrez plays for Manchester City's there, got off the bus. The entire Cameroonian public that was there looked at him and received him like it was Pele. It was like one of the greatest. No, it was like Roger Mila came off that bus. Cameroonian legend. They watch the sport. They love the Premier League. They love Manchester City. They love Riyad Mahrez. And even though he's not from Cameroon, he's from Algeria, there is that connection. It was very touching. And now Africa, the players come back. And Sadio Mane, I mean, what a superstar talking about his philanthropic, philanthropic skills, about getting a chance to help his people, about not spending his money unnecessarily, about making it a better life for folks. What a moment for him and the emotions of um, 
the Egyptian players. By the way, this is what I'm talking about. I saw these accounts, and there's the uh, the Egyptian player who plays at Arsenal, whose name escapes me, and he's they the the the, the, uh, the comment on it on the tweet was. He's crying because he's coming back to Arsenal. And I'm like, we got to learn. We have a long way to learn about this Africa game. We have to bridge that gap. We got to make it a smaller world. This is not what I wanted to talk about. But what I did want to talk about is what lies ahead and what's so exciting about the African game. First of all, March 23rd, 10 teams looking for five spots in the World Cup. Talked a little bit about with Taylor, Mali, Tunisia, Cameroon, Algeria, Ghana, Nigeria, Egypt, Senegal, Democratic Republic of the Congo and Morocco. Uh, if I had to pick it, I think it would be Tunisia, Algeria, Senegal, Nigeria, Morocco. And then you ask the question, is this the World Cup where Africa can make a breakthrough? It's been tough. When Cameroon had that great World Cup in 1990 and made the quarterfinals, everyone was like, Africa's going to win a World Cup. Remember that? And then in 1994, Nigeria looked like the team. And they had J.J. Okocha and all these great players. They got to the round of 16 in, in USA. I think they won their group, but then they lost to Italy. 1998, Nigeria again wins its group, gets to the round of 16, loses to Denmark. Just one African team making the knockouts each time. 2002, Senegal beats France in the opening game, gets to the quarterfinals, narrowly loses to Turkey. That was the team. That was the team that possibly could have gotten over that hump, at least a semifinal. 2006, nothing. And then the next great candidate, Ghana, beat the United States, took on Uruguay in the most controversial game in World Cup history, potentially. The handball by Luis Suarez, they missed the goal. Uruguay moves on to the semifinals. Who knows what Ghana could have done? That was the next one. Last two World Cups, Africa off the grid. 2022, because the World Cup is in Qatar and it's away from the, the Europe and South America, this is an opportunity for the African teams. If I had to pick one, I would say Algeria. But as I wrap up this week's edition of the Soccer OG, and I've gone so long, I had to put a bow on this. Africa is in good hands. Africa's going to have a good World Cup. I'd like to see two teams make the round of 16, and hopefully one can make a semifinal, and then who knows. But I've been really impressed with what I've seen. So much talent, and so many burgeoning countries that are going to push the others. They just need more than five teams. That's why a 48-team World Cup's not the worst idea, right? This is the Soccer OG. Remember what we said at the beginning of the program. Please rate and review. It makes a huge difference. We want to hear from you. I like to hear comments. It doesn't have to be all glowing either. Go ahead and leave a comment. Appreciate you guys tuning in. Check out the Soccer OG on my YouTube under Max Bretos. We'll be back again. A lot to look forward to in the weeks ahead. Thanks to Taylor. Thanks to all of you. Placido Domingo.